You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. We're going to continue our series, The Psalms and the Soul. Um, We're on part two of this series. Last week we started and we walked through Psalm chapter one. Now the Psalms aren't written in any sort of chronological order. So Psalms chapter one, as we said last week, is actually not the first Psalm that was ever written. Psalm 90 is the first Psalm that was written. Um, And so we're not necessarily moving through them in any sort of chronological order. Um, We're kind of working our way through particular Psalms that may speak to our souls and our hearts in this particular season that we're in as not only uh, the church, but as as you know, Americans and as people, citizens of the world, as you all know, we're um, dealing with this all together. And so today I want to go through Psalm 46, Psalm 46. So you can open your Bible if you have your Bible and turn it open to Psalm 46. And we're going to walk through this psalm. This psalm has really been ministering to me this week as I've been reading through it and preparing today. And I hope this ministers to you as well. Um, but in 1517, Martin Luther, you probably know this, but Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformation by nailing his 95 thesis uh, to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. It was quite the uh, moment in history, especially in regards to church history. Um, and about a decade after he did that, you know, some people were opposed, obviously, to what Luther was doing in the Reformation in general. But about a decade later, he strengthened the movement of the Reformation by penning what is known by many as the Battle Hymn of the Reformation. And that hymn that he penned was called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's a hymn that is uh, sort of now synonymous with uh, Luther's name. Matter of fact, in a lot of Lutheran churches, my wife grew up Lutheran, and so I was asking her about this. They sing this song, this hymn, regularly. It is essentially mentioning Luther's name. This is sort of synonymous with his name. A mighty fortress is our God. And the hymn, Luther drew this hymn, uh, and, and in some ways paraphrased Psalm 46 in writing this hymn. And I had printed out um, some of the hymn. I just wanted to share a few stanzas or lines from this hymn, and maybe you'll catch them when we read Psalm 46. Uh, He opens up with, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Um, Of course, this is written in some old English language here, but I think you'll get the, the gist of it. Another section says this, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. That is a powerful, powerful line. And then it finishes in the fourth stanza of this hymn, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen. Um, theologian John Tripp said this about Luther in Psalm 46, the sort of hope that Luther found in 46. He said this, Luther, when in great distress, was wont to call for this psalm, saying, let us sing the 46th psalm in concert, and then let the devil do his worst. 
it wasn't that Luther was claiming um, or asking for the devil to do his worst per se. What he was saying is that in clinging to the hope that we find in the 46th Psalm, it does not matter what the enemy, what the devil may do. We know that our God is a strong and mighty fortress for us. And so without further ado, let's uh, open up the Bible here to Psalm 46. And let's uh, read it. We're going to read the whole thing through here, and then we'll give you a little bit of background and history on it, and then talk a little bit about what it may be speaking to us today. So it starts off here in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow or the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. As you probably noticed, Psalm 46 here is divided into three different stanzas, and those three different stanzas are separated by selahs. There's probably a little word, it might say interlude in your Bible, but, but the term that is usually used is selah. And selah, although there's a lot of um, discussion about what it actually means, there's no real definition about it. Being that the Psalms are actually poetry and songs, a lot of people believe that Selah is a musical term that simply means to pause and to ponder, to stop and to think about what was just said, to stop and to think about the implications of what um, was written or what was sung in the stanza of the song. And so that's sort of the structure of this psalm. And I think we have to remember as we're as we're going through any of these psalms, these are songs and poetry. There's rich imagery here that we don't want to get lost in just the reading of words per se. This was the hymn book of the temple. They would sing these things together to remind themselves of the goodness of God, to remind themselves of what God had done in their lives, to, to declare what they believe God will do in the future in their lives. And so it's so much more than just uh, words on a page, but it's living a songbook of the people of God. And so many people believe, I'm give you a little bit of background here on Psalm 46, and I think it'll help us maybe to understand it. Uh, and forgive me if I'm moving a little bit quickly here. I, um, I recognize it's a little bit awkward probably for you and for me to be sitting in my living room speaking to a camera as you're sitting in your living room watching a screen. Um, so bear with me on that. Oh, I do want to say that it, it is divided up into three stanzas and, and sort of the first stanza is verses one through three. And they sort of talk in general about this idea of natural disasters um, and that not to fear when natural disasters strike. 
the second stanza is verses four through seven. It sort of talks about this idea of political upheaval and what is our response or how do we uh, rest in Christ in the midst of political upheaval. And then eight through 11 is really sort of this idea of um, violence and war. And how many know the earth oftentimes, kingdoms of this world oftentimes like to war with each other. And so how do we find refuge in God in the midst of violence and war around us? So those are sort of the general broad overviews of those three stanzas. But many scholars believe that Psalm 46 was written as a praise psalm to remember Israel's conflict and victory over Assyria. And this is outlined in 2 Kings chapter 18 and chapter 19. I would encourage you after this to go read 2 Kings all the way through 18 and 19, chapter 18 and 19, because this is sort of the setting that most scholars believe that this psalm was written in. So I'm going to give you a brief overview of 18 and 19. In the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign over Judah, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came against the fortified cities of Judah and conquered most of the cities of Judah. And Hezekiah, the king of Judah, tried to negotiate with Sennacherib. He offered up all kinds of silver. He stripped all of this uh, uh, Jerusalem of all the silver they had and sent it to him, but really to no avail. And so Sennacherib sent messengers to Jerusalem to de declare his intentions to also overthrow Jerusalem. Um, Sennacherib's message, you might wonder, well, what was he saying? What was his message? His message was interesting. He was telling the people in the presence, or speaking to uh, Hezekiah, but in the presence of all the people, saying, don't let Hezekiah fool you. He's not going to deliver you. And listen to this, do not let him make you trust in the Lord. So Sennacherib is saying, hey, all of you people of Jerusalem in this fortified city, we're going to take the city and don't trust the words of your king Hezekiah and definitely don't let him get you to trust in the Lord your God. He goes on to mock all the gods of the other nations who were unable to deliver them from the hand of the king of Assyria. So his messengers are saying, no, what about this God? What about that God? None of them were able to deliver their nation or their people from the hand of Sennacherib. What makes you think that your God will do that? I quote, he even says this, who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. Now Hezekiah hears word of this and of course, he's troubled to his core. He's tried to negotiate with Sennacherib. It's not worked. And so what does he do? He goes before the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to read Hezekiah's prayer out of 2 Kings 19, verses 15 through 19. Here's his prayer. He says, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth, he says. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. Hezekiah goes on to say, So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So Hezekiah prays this prayer, 
When he finishes praying this prayer, Isaiah the prophet sends word, a prophetic word to Hezekiah regarding the king of Assyria. And here's what he says. He says, the king will not enter the city. There's a prophetic word from Isaiah. He says, Hezekiah, essentially God has heard your prayers and here's what the Lord is saying to you. The king is not going to enter Jerusalem nor shoot an arrow into it. Not even an arrow is going to pierce the walls or break over the walls of the city of Jerusalem. He says, he goes on to say that God is going to defend the city and God is going to save the city. Not only is he going to save the city for your sake and your prayer, Hezekiah, but for his own sake and for the sake of David which is real covenant language. What he's saying is that I am a God who cannot lie and I have promised certain things in covenants to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through David. I've promised these covenants and I'm not going to go back in my covenants. I am a covenant-keeping God and for my own sake and for the sake of David who I've made covenant with, I will not allow uh, Sennacherib to overtake Jerusalem. So what happens? What happens is in the middle of the night, as Jerusalem and Hezekiah, as they all sleep in the night, probably a little bit worried about those who have assembled outside of the walls in camps, ready to break through at the break of dawn. What happens when they wake up in the morning, or in the night, actually, an angel of the Lord comes through the camp of Assyria and um, and kills 185,000 uh, soldiers of Assyria. And so they wake up in the morning. When dawn arises in the morning, Sennacherib and all of Assyria sees that the, the, the land is laid waste with 185,000 soldiers who died in the middle of the night. And what does Sennacherib do? He rises up and he goes home. He never enters Jerusalem. He never shoots an arrow over its wall. The prophetic word of Isaiah comes to pass. And Jerusalem because of the prayers of Hezekiah and the covenant of God is saved from the hands of the Assyrian army. No other nation had experienced that kind of salvation, but here Jerusalem experiences it. And this is where they believe that Psalm 46 was written from this perspective. So now with that in mind, let's read this again. Let's, let's think about this in that context where Hezekiah wakes up the next morning and Isaiah wakes up the next morning and all of Jerusalem wakes up to see that Sennacherib is fleeing home because his army has been utterly destroyed in the middle of the night. It goes like this, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, because there is a river whose streams make glad the city of the God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. Look at God is in the midst of Jerusalem. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Think about what happened when the morning dawned and they looked out and saw that Sennacherib was running home and that God had worked on their behalf. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, they're declaring. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and he burns the chariots with fire. 
be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I think that the context of what's happening in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19 with Assyria coming against Jerusalem and Hezekiah crying out to the Lord in this time of great distress speaks so deeply as God answers his prayers. It speaks so deeply to my soul and hopefully to your soul about our God and what his desire is for us, his people. It's not just a psalm that is stuck way back into the history of Israel, as we see even Martin Luther drew from that psalm for the current circumstances that he was in, and we too can draw from the psalm for the current circumstances that we find ourselves in. And so there's a few things that I want to share regarding this psalm in particular. And what I want to focus in on here is God's response, what we learn about, what we know about God in regards to what the Israelites declared, what they sang after God delivered them from Assyria. The first thing is this, God's presence. I want us to recognize that He is with us. And I share this a lot. I know I do. Um, but it's important to continually remember because sometimes we feel like the circumstances, the situations around us are happening. And does God even care? Is he even concerned? I'm sure that Hezekiah felt this way. That the people of Jerusalem felt this way. But the reality is, He's with us. God is a present God. This psalm affirms that God is with us and that we can take refuge in Him. That He is our very present, the scripture says, very present help in times of trouble. It's this idea that He is this refuge, this shelter that we can go into. This fortified city that God Himself is this fortified city that we can that we can run to and be safe in His midst. The Psalm 46 here goes on to describe this idea of like the earth falling back into chaos. It's almost as if it's recalling Genesis where it talks about how the earth was without form and was void and darkness covered the face of the earth. That whole idea, that, um, that description of the earth is literally declaring that the earth was filled with darkness and chaos was ruling the earth. And so then when God said, let there be light, he began to reorder the chaos according to his purpose and his plan. And it's almost as if the Psalm is recalling this idea of man, even if the earth starts to, to go back into chaos, he's not going to fear. Why? Because he knows that God is with him. Because he knows that God is his shelter. Because he knows that God is his refuge. That he is safe in the arms of God who gives him strength. So, I want us to remember here, of course, that this isn't um, some sort of self-help theory. Uh, too often, I think, I can get in this habit of reading Scripture and like, well, that's great. I appreciate it. It's an old, it's an old book, you know, and uh, I'm thankful for it for sure. But wow, does God really know what's happening right now? Well, this isn't just some, some self-help theory. Um, this psalm was penned in the midst of crisis, intense crisis. And it's, it's included in the canon of Scripture so that we too can look to this Scripture and say, yes, God is faithful. God said that he would be with the children of Israel and he remained faithful. He was present, a very present help 
in times of trouble. In church, he's our very present help in these times of trouble as well. You know, I was thinking about it. We've probably all heard the term um, quite a bit recently, shelter in place, that a lot of cities are putting in a shelter in place order. um, And uh, people are like, well, what does that actually mean? Well, shelter in place simply means do not flee. It means do not evacuate. So the call isn't to go evacuate to another city or flee to another city and say, no, where you dwell, take refuge where you dwell. And that just got me thinking about uh, what the psalmist said in Psalm 91, 1 and 2, that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. It's like the Psalms, quoting the Psalms, quoting the Psalms, is constantly trying to remind us that God is our very present help in times of trouble and that we can shelter in place, that we can shelter, that we can find refuge where we dwell. And that place where we should dwell is the secret place of the Most High God, that we should find our refuge in Christ alone, in God alone, that He is with us and that when He is with us, we have no need to fear. I'm not saying that fear won't come knocking on our doors. I'm not saying that we won't have moments of anxiety and anxiousness. As I've said before, that's just simply an indication that you, like me, are human. Wondering about what, how long will this last? What does the future hold? What will this look like for friends and family? I get the anxieties and the fears and the distress that we might feel. What this is calling us to do is saying, take those anxieties and those fears, those very real anxieties and fears, and cast those cares on the Lord. Go to the Lord. He's with us. He's present. He's available. He's our help. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our strong tower. He's our shelter. So go to Him and find refuge in Him. I was thinking about this in particularly... um, as many of you know, we sent out a prayer request yesterday for my buddy Jim. Jim has uh, been with us from the beginning, obviously, before even we became Hope Assembly. He was a part of the church. He's one of our elders. Jim and Sharon are one of our elders. And Jim has traveled with me to Albania uh, to do work with his son, who is our missionary in Albania. And uh, we just got back from Albania, and uh, I heard word yesterday from Sharon and others. And Jim himself, he texted and said he's not doing well. Um, he's, he's has um, all of the symptoms of, of COVID-19. And the initial response to that, I'm sure for you, as was for me, was overwhelming because we love Jim and we don't want anybody among us to be sick. And, and so it brings this moment of fears of what ifs and, and oh my God. And, and, and of course, I, I'm so thankful for everyone who's reached out and said, we're praying. Jim, we are praying for you. We are trusting God with you. But in those moments, the thing that we have to do, the thing that we have to encourage one another to do is to find our hope and our refuge in the midst of this uncertainty in God who is our strength, who is our help in these times of trouble. So we cry out to God on behalf of Jim, heal Jim, cause Jim's body to come back into a a fullness and thriving place in health and flourishing again. We pray that and we believe that and we trust God for that moment. Why? Because we dwell in the shelter of the Most High God. 
He is our very present help and he is with us. I pray right now even that Jim's room where he's watching this would be filled with the presence of God, that he would be encouraged as you would be encouraged as we pray together for his healing and strength in his body and good news about full recovery. George Campbell Morgan said this, he said, the secret to confidence, confidence in God, is the consciousness of the nearness of God, this awareness of God being near. The second thing that I see throughout this entire psalm is not just God's presence, but it's God's provision. He's not just with us, but he's also for us. God is on our side. He is our helper. It says that he is our ever-present help, that he is going to step in, that he is going to intervene on our behalf, that he's not going to leave us to fend for ourselves, but he is our ever-present help. He is a helper for us, that he brings salvation to bear upon our situation. You see where it says here that God will help God will help her when the morning dawns. Uh, many people believe that this actually is Israel reminding herself that when the morning dawned, after Hezekiah prayed and Isaiah prophesied, and the morning dawned, that they saw the deliverance, the salvation of God in the, in the, in the early dawn of the morning as they looked out and saw Sennacherib leaving, fleeing, and all of his army lying dead in, in, in the field because God had moved on their behalf. God had delivered them from the hands of Sennacherib. 185,000. Think about that number. Think about the, the gravity of that situation. How overwhelming it must have been for Jerusalem, for Hezekiah, for Isaiah to look out and to see that God moved on their behalf, that God was not just with them, but God was also for them, working on their behalf, bringing salvation to them. It goes on to say, behold the works of the Lord. What does he do? He makes war cease. He breaks bows. He shatters spears. Like God is working to bring peace in the earth. God is working to bring his kingdom into the earth. And in doing so, he is causing wars to cease. He is breaking bows. He is, he is shattering spears. He is delivering the people of God. But I love that the provision that this psalm talks about is not just about the salvation of the Lord, saving us from destruction, saving us from the enemy, saving us from these moments, but also about this, this provision of joy, where it says, but joy from the river flows from the city of God. Joy from the river flows from the city of God. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High God. I love this part of the scripture. Interestingly enough, Jerusalem did not have a river. So the psalmist is using this hopeful imagery of what was in Eden, um, the Garden of Eden. So he's sort of looking back to this the river that flowed out of the Garden of Eden and went four different directions to cover the earth, Right? And he's also looking forward to the very end where what is to come, where a river of life will flow from the temple of God. So, so Jerusalem didn't have a river, but 
these people of God are using this imagery of this river of life that's flowing, that is making glad the people of God. He's using this imagery to talk about, remember the Garden of Eden, and remember God has promised once again to restore to us this joy that we get from the river of life. Revelation 22 verses 1 and 2 talk about this sort of forward-thinking idea of what is to come, this river of God that makes the people of God joyful and glad. It says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on other side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were, were for the healing of the nations. And so the people of God, the children of Israel, were looking forward to the time when the river of God would flow in their midst. The river of life would flow. And they, they used this imagery that they were so aware of, agrarian society, so aware of the life flow of rivers uh, that would feed their crops and, and feed their livestock. They were so aware of this imagery. They said, we would rejoice because the, the river of God is flowing, providing life to us. The provision of God is in our midst. It's causing us to flourish. We can hold on to that church, that God is with us and that God is for us, that he's providing for us uh, joy in the midst of uncertain circumstances. I think about um, this quote from Obadiah ben Jacob Sforno, who is an Italian rabbi. He said this, since we have witnessed God's merciful salvation in the past, we do not fear the future, no matter how menacing it seems. What Sephorno, this Italian rabbi, is essentially saying, and what the children of Israel were doing here in writing Psalm 46, was they're saying, we must remind ourselves that God has been faithful, faithful, and because he has been faithful, we know that he will always be faithful. And so we can be trusting, we can put our hope in God because we've witnessed his salvation before. Therefore, we believe we will witness his salvation again, even when the times seem so menacing, even when the times feel so dark and uncertain. We know that God is our very present help. He's with us and he is for us. Matter of fact, the refrain that they say multiple times in this uh, psalm, they declare it twice. This sort of triumphant refrain is this, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Do you see it? He's present and he's providing. He's, he's our present help and he is our provider of help. He's with us and he's for us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, the last thing I want to share here before we close up, and I want to talk a little bit about God's providence because we see here in this psalm, God's providence. He's with us and he's for us, but I think it's really important to note that he's not us and we are not him. That there's a providence of God that God is caring after or looking after his creation, meticulously taking care of his people. 
And even when we don't feel like it, just like that song said, even when I don't see it, he's working. Even if I don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. That's the providence of God. He's working on behalf of his creation. And though he's for us and with us, he's not us and we are not him. God is wholly separate from us. He is transcendent beyond us. He is beyond our imagination and our ability to comprehend. If we were able to comprehend everything about God and define him and bring him into a very neat and clean definition, then he would cease to be God, at least the one true God. We would have, in effect, made a God in our own image to our own liking if we can fully define who God is. And so he's not us. He is beyond us. And there is a providence of God working in this psalm. In verse 10, there's this sort of change of personhood and Yahweh introduces himself into the psalm. We see the personhood's change. The first person comes in in verse 10 and he says, be still and know that I am God. He is introduced with this stern but yet gracious rebuke. Be still and know that I am God. Now remember, Sennacherib was trying to to, to convince all of Jerusalem to, to just surrender to him that, that, that don't trust Hezekiah and don't let tre- Hezekiah uh, get you to trust in the Lord, in Yahweh, because I've overcome every single kingdom and I'll overcome yours too. That's what Sennacherib was saying. And yet Hezekiah went before the Lord and the people of Jerusalem trusted God and God showed up on their behalf. And so here's what God is saying to all these people as he introduces himself in the first person, be still and know that I am God. Now, we've talked about this uh, scripture before, Psalm 4610, and we've talked about it in the word of contemplative sort of prayers and contemplative um, ways to to spend time with God. And, And yes, that's a beautiful thing to be able to quiet ourselves and contemplate the goodness of God, contemplate the presence of God, um, contemplate the faithfulness of God. That's wonderful. And so we don't have to remove that. But in the context here, what is really happening is rather than being contemplative, contextually, this is a strong rebuke of God. He is telling them, I want you to settle down, look at me, and know I am who I said I am. I am the Lord. I am the God of all the gods. I am the God of the creator of the heavens and the earth. So he is calling a restless and turbulent world to lay down your arms, surrender, and acknowledge him as the one true God. How powerful is that? God is working on our behalf. And God says, listen, I know you want to fret. I know you want to take up arms. I know you want to do it your way. I know you want to fight your way. Lay down your arms. Settle your heart. Settle yourself. Be still and know that I'm the Lord your God, that I'm in control. He goes on to say that I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. He's making the declaration that there is no God that will usurp him as the one true living God. And the children of Israel writing this psalm, Psalm 46, the sons of uh, Korah who are declaring this 
are reminding themselves what God has said to them. Remember, be still. Remember, he is the one true God, that he alone will be exalted among the nations, that he alone will be exalted in the earth. And uh, one of our members posted up a a quote this week that I thought was powerful, and so I wanted to share it. I, I thought it tied perfectly in with this. From Priscilla Schreier, it says this, as soon as you connect your shifting circumstances with the unshifting character of God, he raises a banner of hope in your heart and in your mind. Church, that's what I'm hoping for as you read Psalm 46, that you will connect your shifting, our shifting circumstances with the unshifting character and nature of God. And in doing so, that there will be this banner of hope that will be raised in your heart and in your mind. That we trust that God, the Lord of hosts, is with us. That the God of Jacob is our fortress. We find that hope today in Christ and in Christ alone. And again, I want to say, if you're watching this and you don't know who Jesus is or you've never made, uh, surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never had the opportunity to maybe make a declaration and begin to follow the way of Jesus, these things might seem like they're fleeting. It might seem like they're, they, 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 they can't be attained. They're unattainable ideas. And I want to let you know, for 30 years I've been following Jesus and not one time has he let me down. I've experienced all kinds of difficulty but in the midst of the difficulty, God has always been present with me. And so if you want to follow after Christ, just let us know. Send us a message. Send us a direct message. Say, I need this hope in my life. Well, we find this hope through Jesus Christ. He came and lived a sinless life for us, born of the Virgin Mary. He, he did uh, good and healed all who were sick and oppressed the devil. That's all that he did. He came to seek and to save the lost. He died a death of a criminal on a cross, though he was innocent. And we're celebrating here in just a couple of weeks, Easter, Resurrection Sunday, where he didn't stay in the grave, but on the third day he came out of the grave, declaring victory once and for all. And so those who can trust in Jesus, those who confess that Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, those are the ones that shall be saved and find rest and hope, peace and love and comfort in Christ and in Christ alone. So if you don't know Jesus or maybe you've walked away from Jesus, I want to encourage you, let us know. We'd love to connect with you and pray for you and let you know more about how to live a life following after Christ. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.